Hey everybody, I'm back for a third check-in with you all to make sure you haven't gone insane or are passed out in the gutter somewhere from overbrewing or overconsumption or what have you. Hopefully you are all well and have adjusted, albeit begrudgingly, to the new and current normal. So as I mentioned last time, I thought it would be fun to ask all of you and myself some of the fun questions that I ask our guests at the end of the podcast. And this time I thought I'd talk about my favorite beer to drink. Um, you know, of course, this is an unfair question as as it would be with anybody. My favorite beer is strongly dictated by the weather and my mood, but whatever. Uh I look at this question as kind of a desert island beer, and my beer, like a strong majority of brewers I've asked, is Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. I love this beer. It's a staple. I like to make pale ales, but I never try to replicate the Sierra Nevada Pale Ale as um, exactly. Uh, It just kind of seems folly to do it when you can go anywhere in Jerkwater, USA and find Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. Um, These days, even in a can, which makes it great for camping and trips, road trips and stuff, because it's light, it's crushable in many ways. And uh, yeah, it just makes it easy. So I like it. Um, You know, it's crisp. It's always hoppy. It's got that cascade goodness. It's like 5% alcohol. It's it's just perfect. Um, I was recently, well, I say recently, within the last few years, I was down in Texas visiting some friends and uh, one of my good buddies referred to them as greenies, uh, which I thought was pretty good. So I call them greenies now. Um, but yeah, that's mine. So, but again, you know, I mean, that's just something that I could drink every day. But is it my favorite beer every day? Probably not. You know, runners up would be a good Kolsch, um, triple Carmelite, good German Pilsner, good Belgian Double, good what are you know, blah 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 blah. All right, you get the picture. Beer is subjective. Different beers for different days, for different seasons, for different people. Yes. Okay. I want to move on to what I hope will become a regular segment on these little casts, and that is a homebrewing chat. Tips, tricks, recipes, techniques, ingredients, all of it. Any questions or advice you have, bring it. I want this to be a conversation. And today, I want to talk about pH, which is something that a lot of brewers, even experienced brewers, uh, even myself, up until not that long ago, uh, either ignore completely or are totally unaware of, or just gloss over by throwing in a teaspoon or two of gypsum into their mashes and calling it good. pH affects every aspect of your brew, pH being um, a scale that measures uh, alkalinity to basic. And uh, where your beer falls in that, there are very specific ranges that you should be hitting in order to make really good beer. Of course, you can make beer without ever having to deal with this. I did it for many years. Many brewers still do it. It's important. And once you start paying attention to it, it makes a big difference. It affects every aspect of your brew, your mash efficiency, your hot and cold breaks in your kettle, uh, yeast health, and therefore a healthy fermentation, and both flavors and off flavors. 
Hop character not quite popping the way you want? PH. Your pilsner doesn't quite seem crisp enough? PH. Sluggish or incomplete fermentation even after your grade A yeast starter is pitched? PH. So how do you control and monitor pH? When do you check it? And what should it be? Well, let's get into it. However, quick disclaimer, this will just be a cursory explanation of how to adjust pH specific to beer brewing. There are entire books devoted to this complex topic, and your mileage may vary. Some professional breweries do very little to their water, and some build their brewing water from the ground up using reverse osmosis water and putting in the salts to get to the profile they want. As a home brewer, it's relatively easy and inexpensive to measure and make adjustments to your water. So let's start with your water. I'll assume most of you are local to the Bellingham area, all five to ten of you. We're fortunate in that our water is very good. I will post the water chemistry makeup of our water, or at least what I got back from the lab in the Sunnyland neighborhood, on the Facebook page. and. We will go into what each ion does specifically and why they're important the next time. Today, we're just going to be concentrating on making sure your pH is on target and the salts used to accomplish this and the techniques that you use. Ideally, if you're using tap water, you'd filter it through an inexpensive charcoal filter. If that's not in the cards, then at least measure out your water the night before and let it sit uncovered overnight. Why? you're trying to eliminate all or most of the chlorine in your water. And most cities put chlorine in their water just to make sure that it's potable when it comes out the tap. However, yeast hates that, and it promotes phenolic flavors in your beer, so unless you want to make a Band-Aid IPA, it's worth the effort. Okay. So, when brewing an all-grain beer, you want your mash pH to be between 5.2 and 5.6. Accordingly, you want your mash water to be in this range as well. This will ensure that your wort pre-boil is also in this range. Handy! I shoot for 5.2 to 5.4 for my mash water and 5.5 for my sparge water. I have a pH meter which makes things very easy. You can spend anywhere from 40 to 150 bucks for one that will work. Take care of it and it should last a long time. You can also get paper strips that are calibrated to read a range of pHs. Homebrew shops and sites carry the ones that fall into this specific range of brewing, and these work great. If you're not colorblind. <laughs> I have a red and green deficiency, so they are absolutely useless to me. I cannot tell uh, between a lighter shade of yellow and a lighter shade of orange, and maddeningly, mad, bad, mad, maddeningly, maddeningly. <laughs> I'm not, I'm drinking water, people. Um, they don't do that. They, they all fall within this kind of light color range. And so, yeah, again, useless. But if you're not colorblind, they are very cheap, very easy, very reliable. Okay. You can look at profiles for popular brewing cities to see the range of ions you want in your water, but I would caution you against that. All of those famous cities treat their water and you're just reading what comes out of the taps there. Far better is to look at the profiles of beer styles and go from there. Again, we're keeping it simple here and just talking about a handful of brewing salts and their general use. The ions they contain will be discussed further next time. So the water in Bellingham, just right out of the tap, is about 7.8 to 7.9 pH. Which is about mid-range. 
The choice of grains you use will alter this somewhat, but you'll almost certainly need to adjust your water to get down to the lower fives. I'll cover the four main salts and an acid used by most brewers. First off, gypsum. Calcium sulfate, the big one. You see it in every recipe more than likely. It lowers the pH and helps contribute to yeast health and crispness. And for those of you without gram scales, one level teaspoon is about 1.8 grams, which I find very handy considering I have one of those gram scales and I get readings that are just all over the place. So again, one level teaspoon, about 1.8 grams for gypsum. Calcium chloride. This also lowers pH and is useful if your water is low in chlorides, and it is not to be confused with chlorine. Chloride and chlorine aren't necessarily the same things. One level teaspoon is about 3.4 grams. Magnesium sulfate, Epsom salt. Put it in your baths all the time. One that's overlooked but can be used to accentuate crispness if your calcium levels are already in range. It lowers pH very slightly and make sure you get unadulterated Epsom salt. You don't need the lavender scented kind that you put in your baths. One level teaspoon is about 4.5 grams. Sodium bicarbonate. Baking soda. Very useful. This raises the pH by raising the alkalinity. You want to be careful with this as it also raises your sodium levels and you can get some off flavors if your sodium levels start to get too high. One level teaspoon is about 4.4 grams. Lactic acid at a concentration of 88%. Very useful for sparge water and for mashes that still clock in at very high pHs. Some people use phosphoric acid as one jar of lactic acid will last a long time, I have yet to experiment with phosphoric. To give you an idea, I'll usually need to add about three to six milliliters of lactic acid to my sparge water, depending on the volume. With an eyedropper, that equates to six to 12 drops. Don't overdo it. So you'll use some or all of these in one brew, depending on multiple variables. How do you figure it out? What to use and when to use it? Well, there's a ton of free calculators that are out there on the interwebs. Um, Brunewater, Brewer's Friend, John Palmer's Spreadsheet, Beersmith, Brewfather, Grainfather, they all make it easy to input your grain bill and water report and get the amounts that you need. Some are free, some cost money. I personally use Brewfather for recipe formulation and the free Brunewater spreadsheet for salt additions. And that's Brunewater, B-R-U apostrophe N, named after Martin Brungard, who is the genius who put this thing together. Uh, Brunewater is chock full of great information about water and how it all works together. Highly, highly recommend it. Spend an afternoon in quarantine when it's raining for the next week and uh, get to know your water. So when to measure your pH? Well, at a few points in your brew day, you'll want to measure your pH. The first couple of times you use spreadsheets, always and often double check to make sure things are what you believe them to be in your beer. Don't just take it for granted that these things are happening because if you're off, you can be way off and pH is logarithmic, which means the difference between 5.2 and 5.5 or 5.9 is gargantuan, powers of 10, right? Once you get a feeling for the accuracy of your salt amounts, you'll want to check your pH about 15 minutes into your mash, cooling it down first so that you get an accurate reading. And then again, once you have all of your wort in the kettle. This is assuming you're brewing all grain. Doing the partial mash and extract thing, just make sure all of your water is between 5.2 and 5.6 and you should be good. 
Actually, I would stay on the like 5.4 to 5.6 range considering some of those specialty malts that you'll add will drop your uh, pH just a little bit, especially if you're using a bunch of dark malts. Hmm. All right. Well, that all sounds very involved and complicated, but once you've done it a couple times, it's really quick and easy. And if you've never bothered with all of this, be prepared for your beer to suddenly be far more in line with what you envisioned it to be. From taste to color to potential clarity, it all plays together. I just covered the most basics of pH, and I'm also assuming that for those of you that just listened to all that, that you at least are familiar with some of those salts and you're familiar with the brewing process and you know that these things are important, you just might have been ignoring them. So next time I'll go over what all of those salts and your water contains and why they all matter. Sodium, sulfate, uh, you know, calcium, what do they all do? I decided to do this part first, which might be kind of counterintuitive, but whatever. These are just little mini episodes. We're just killing time, right? And trying to learn something new. All right. So if you want to read more on these, there is plenty of information out there. If you are savvy enough to find and listen to this podcast, then I'm going to assume that you know how to do a web search. Speaking of searches, I went back last week and looked at the Facebook page, Tapped In Beercast. See if I had any questions or comments about what we talked about last week, which, if you will recall, was thinking in percentages and how that can make your brew day more consistent and your recipe formulation a little easier. And a listener named Christina wrote in, Coors apologist. Eh, what can I say? She nailed me on that one. She goes on to say, in all seriousness, though, how do you identify efficiency points in the brew system? Like, how many places do you look at and say, efficient here, not so much there? I've never really thought about it before, but ultimately it must create massive swings in the eventual output. Or does it? Minor swings? And so I answered uh, that that's a good question that I didn't really go into. But there are two places primarily that you want to explore, mash efficiency and brew house efficiency. Mash efficiency is where you try to extract all the yield you can from your grains. Proper grind and water chemistry pH, aha, uh -huh, see why I thought about pH for this, are key here. Also, making sure your mash is well mixed. Taking your time mashing in a little grain at a time and mixing well as opposed to dumping all the grain in and stirring for a minute will help too. Brewhouse efficiency comes down to how dialed you have your system. Knowing where you lose wort and what your evaporation rate is are the keys here. Make sure you can reliably measure volumes, run some water through the system to see and measure how and where you leave water behind. The mash tun, wort chiller, kettle remains after knocking out, and sediment in your primary and secondary fermenters are the main places. Taking measurements and good notes will be a tremendous help in cranking out beers where you hit all your numbers and know going into the brew day what you will get into your fermenter is exactly what you had in your head. Good resources are Ray Daniels Designing Great Beers and websites like Brewfather and Brewer's Friend. The good news is that once you have all of this dialed in, it doesn't really change much, so consistency will be more consistent. Combining these things with the thinking and percentages that I talked about on the cast will transform brew days into relaxed and predictable joys. So thanks to Christina for writing in, and again, if you have any questions or comments about anything we talk about or just life in general, hit us up. Facebook page, Tapped in Beercast. So what are some fun things we can search for and talk about? Well, first off, 
I found out recently that according to feedspot.com, Tapped In is number 20 in the top 30 beer beer podcasts. (laughs) I'm as shocked as you are. I, yeah. Number 20 out of 30, which there's way more than 30, so that's cool. I have no idea who there heard it or where they actually are, but thank you, feedspot.com. And then, while scouring the endless morass that is YouTube, I somehow ran across a channel called Philbilly. <laughs> like P-H-I-L-B-I-L-L-Y. It's two dudes from what I'm guessing is somewhere in the deep south that do crazy shit like Sweet Baby Ray's wine, Pepsi versus Coke wine, and peanut butter wines, and so many other crazy things. What makes them so funny to me is that they give no shits and clearly do this for their own amusement. They are definitely not work or probably even family safe. They are not PC. They just are unfiltered, pure insanity to watch. Uh, So be governed accordingly. Check them out. They also make hot sauces and do some shine as well. And they reminded me of in the way back times of the bottle shop, when a couple of guys came in extolling the virtues of something they referred to as Jamahall, a very questionable concoction made of the jam that comes in the little blue tubs. I can't remember the name of it. Uh, some table sugar, enough water to dilute the jam, and yeast. Vile yet potent stuff. <laughs> Although I do recall at least one fan who saw fit to pose with a bottle that I'd made during a beer tasting at the house eons ago. I'd whipped up a batch in the name of science for my now long defunct Beer Nut article that I used to write for the Every Other Weekly in the olden times. Uh, I'll try and find the picture of Nolan in the Jam Hall and post it on the Facebook page. All right. Well, I think that's quite enough for now. What are you up to? Making it? Reach me at DaveTapTrail.com or on Facebook at the Tapped In Beercast page. Or for the time being, I'm still doing the Instagram thing at Tapped In Beercast. And be part of the next episode's discussion. It doesn't even have to be about beer. There are no rules these days, so just go nuts. I'll post some pics of what I've got going on right now, at least on the Facebook page, showcasing exciting things such as brewing equipment and the kegging of beers. Uh, You do the same. Let me know what you're making. What are you drinking? Uh, Hit me up with any questions or additions you have to all of today's info uh, on the Facebook page. It's a conversation, after all, not a lecture. And of course, don't forget to rate and give us all the stars on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your rambling content. And hey, if you take the time to review us, make sure I know, and I will read your review during these mini-casts. Also, if any of you um, write in with questions, I'll read those as well. I will talk to you later. Be safe, be socially responsible, and please resist all the urges that make you want to go out and kill these days. We are all just dealing. Cheers. Cheers.